Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. And Emma Warner is going to come and bring our reading for us, which is in 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2. The reading today is from 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 13, which is on page 1195 in the Church Bible. The appeal renewed. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, and that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Wonderful, Emma. Thank you so, so much. Um, Now, there's a handout uh, coming out uh, to you, um, if you would like uh, to use that. It gives a little outline of what we're going to be thinking about as we look at this passage together. Uh, Ollie and James, thank you so much for handing that out. And as as, uh, Ollie and James just bring that round, uh, I'd love to just draw your attention to a fantastic verse that we've just heard read, which I think is incredibly helpful when it comes to understanding what is happening now as uh, God's word is being preached, uh, what, what, what we're to be doing. And uh, it's, chapter, it's chapter 2, verse 7, where Paul writes this to Timothy, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And just to say a couple of things about this, um, the Bible, how do we understand the Bible, what's our understanding of how it came to be? And we uh, believe in something we call dual authorship. In other words, there are two authors of the Bible, human authors and a divine author, God himself, written by his spirit. So human authorship, as in what we have in front of us, was written by real people in real time. And uh, in this particular case, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, Uh, around uh, the 60s AD uh, from Rome under uh, the time of Nero. Uh, So there's human authorship to these words. And yet also, Christians, we believe that this word, this Bible, is God-breathed. In fact, that comes up later on in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. And just as there's dual authorship, there's a sense in which there's also uh, a similar dynamic going on in terms of how we're to receive God's word. There's sort of 
dual receivership, if I could put it that, that way. So, in other words, we have a role to play here. And our role, as Paul writes here, is to reflect on what the Scriptures are saying. In other words, we're to engage, we're to, to think, we're to use our minds. Uh, that is a really good thing to be doing. Uh, that's why we've got pens and paper, and we want to spend a good amount of time looking at this. And yet also, we're not just simply doing a normal human activity here, because we're asking God by his Spirit to give us insight into truths beyond our own natural understanding, uh, to give us insight into who God is, into who Jesus is, into his grace, his mercy, to know what that means for us. So there's a brilliant verse here in, in, in encouraging us as to what we're doing uh, now together. So uh, why don't I pray, pray that the Lord would do that. He would be working by his spirit as we ourselves work hard to understand what his word is saying. So let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, we do thank you so much for your word that you have spoken to us. And Lord, we pray now that you might help us, help us to concentrate, help us to reflect, to meditate, to think, to engage with these words that you have given us. And as we do so, might your spirit be at work, giving us insight so that we might know Jesus better, that we might receive his grace, his strength into our lives so that we can live fully for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a hot weekend, and uh, I don't know whether you came across uh, this picture um, this morning or yesterday from uh, the Troopy of the Colour, which was yesterday, and a warm day to be a guardsman in the Troopy of the Colour. And uh, there we go. There were a number of uh, guards fainting. Um, They're absolutely fine. Uh, I'm told, uh, but they just, in the heat, just sort of straight over. Uh, not an easy job uh, guarding. There's a Welsh guard uh, who, who's gone. And um, it leads us to this question um, that we looked at last week, which is about guarding. Uh, we are called, as Christians, to guard the good deposit. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 14, there is a charge to particularly to Timothy, particularly church leaders, but actually to the whole church, to guard the good deposit, to guard the beautiful gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, guarding is not easy. Uh, it's not easy if you're at the Trooping of the Colour. Uh, it is not easy either as a Christian. And really, this passage that we're looking at now speaks about what does it take to guard the good deposit? What does it take? What do we need? And actually, this passage is one of the most helpful passages in giving us a realistic understanding of Christian ministry. What it means to be Christian ministers. That word ministers, literally servants. What it means to serve the Lord, to serve his kingdom, both individually as Christians, but also for us as a church as a whole. Uh, These words, they're really relevant. They're particularly relevant for church leaders, It's a letter written to Timothy, but as we looked at last week, this is a letter written to the whole church, and it is relevant for all of us, because we're all to be ministers. We believe in the ministry of all believers, and we're all to be serving 
the Lord. And uh, there's a, a really realistic, helpful picture of what Christian ministry looks like here. Uh, to let you know the structure of what's going on here, the first three verses really give us the big three exhortations that uh, Paul wants to tell Timothy and us about what it means to guard the good deposits. And then uh, he drills that home uh, deeper with uh, some experiences and some metaphors in verses 14 to 13. So we'll spend most of our time looking at those first three verses and then we'll quickly go through the rest. So three exhortations for what it means to guard the good deposit. And uh, the first is this, be strong in grace. Verse 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul has just spoken about those who've actually deserted him and the gospel and Jesus Christ. A little bit earlier in verse 15, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And he's wanted to say, Timothy, don't be like that. You remain. You be strong. Uh, there's lots of talk at the moment uh, about resilience. Have you been to a resilience workshop at some point? There's lots of talk about resilience. And actually, it's really helpful talk because we can often feel our weakness in life. And how do we keep going? How do we stay strong? How do we endure? And I guess there could be lots of different places we might go to look for strength. Uh, maybe we go to, to knowledge. I just need to get know more. I need to study more. I wish I had a better intellect or whatever it might be. Maybe it's uh, we go for physical strength. We, need, we, we want to go for training uh, to get physically stronger. Uh, maybe we find strength in position or, or status. Maybe we find strength in our wardrobe. I don't know. We can look, look in lots of different places to find strength to endure, to keep going. But Paul says the place where Christians are to go to find strength is the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. The grace that is found in Christ Jesus. This is his sustaining grace that is poured out on us day after day after day, always available to us. Uh, how does this work? Well, think of it like this. Just think of the power of words in life. Um, the other day, I was going for a run. I was running incredibly slowly. I was feeling utterly exhausted, heavy-legged. And uh, I ran past uh, somebody who uh, turned out to be a slightly eccentric gentleman who stood, stood to one side. He had a stick with him, and he started banging it and said, come on, get going, come on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started running a little bit faster, not least to get away from uh, this person. Uh, but words can be powerful, can't they? Think about a compliment. A compliment can sort of keep us going for weeks, can't it? Uh, or the encouragement of meeting up with a friend when we're feeling low, when we're feeling down. Meeting up with, with others, what an encouragement that can be. Well, we receive spiritual strength when we hear again, when we receive again the grace that is available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a wonderful way of literally being strengthened, being enabled to endure, to keep going, to be resilient, to hear again these wonderful truths about Jesus Christ, uh, the grace that is available in him, knowing that he loves you unconditionally, no matter what you've done, uh, that he died for you. He loves you so much, he died 
in your place. That as we put our trust in him, you're forgiven. Past failures. Forgiven. As we hear of Jesus Christ, who's our shepherd, our Lord, our saviour. That in him we have a righteousness we can't get ourselves. That he gives us new life. He gives us hope. Just hearing those truths, knowing that grace, having that spoken into us afresh, that gives us strength. Uh, Many of you will be familiar with a wonderful passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, that speaks exactly of this. Uh, Let me read these words. They will come up on the screen. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord, as we look to him, as we remember who he is, all that we have in Jesus Christ, his grace, his mercy are fresh every day, that gives us strength to keep going, to keep serving him. So that's the first thing that we need to know about what it takes to guard the good deposits. Uh, We need to be strong in Jesus' grace. Second, we're to train the next generation. We're to train the next generation. Verse 2, Paul writes this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I love this because it's very, it's very practical. It's very real. Uh, it's very uh, positive. It's actually doing something. Sometimes we can think of all this as in quite a passive way. But actually, Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to be proactive. You need to plan. Uh, be strategic. And it's good to think through how we're going to pass on this good deposit, the gospel, to the next generation. Uh, faithfulness is not just about sort of standing firm, holding our ground. It is also being proactive and planning for the future. Uh, as we were thinking about last week, we're called to pass on the gospel, the sort of changing of the guard. Uh, that is what Paul is saying that he is doing. He's passing it on to Timothy. He's to pass it on to others. Uh, another way of thinking about it um, is that uh, the Olympic torch race. Do you remember that back in 2012? Uh, a long time ago now. Did anyone go out to watch the torch being processed? I remember going out to the streets of Fulham and uh, seeing the Olympic flame being taken. And uh, it's amazing how the flame there, well, it was lit in Olympia and then it sort of was flown over. Um, I hope it was safely done. And then um, paraded around, going around the UK um, and... Uh, here we go. Um, it's Chris Hoy, I think, and all that, those uh, people running around on the outside. And the torch is being sort of passed on from one person to another, to another, to another, to another, uh, in this torch relay. And that is what we're called to do. We're called to pass on the flame. 
And Paul has a massive vision for this. He has a massively strategic mind for this. In fact, in verse 2, four generations are in mind, straight off. There is the first generation, it's Paul. He's passing it on to Timothy, who's to pass it on to reliable people. And they, the reliable people, are to then be able to pass it on themselves. And so it goes on and on and on. I think last week we talked about sort of 78 generations, probably between us today and going all the way back to the time of the Apostle Paul, have passed on the flame of the gospel. Uh, The church is always one generation away from extinction. And so we need to keep passing on the flame. And it's important to get this right. And Paul actually speaks about how we can do that well. And he says two things. One, the people who we pass on the good deposit to, they're to be reliable people. Entrust to reliable people, verse 2 says. In other words, people of good character, people of faithfulness, integrity, godliness. But also able people, not just reliable people, people who will also be qualified to teach. There's a competence side going on here. So there's character and there's competence. And in this particular case, Paul is talking about uh, those who are to sort of carry the word ministry of the gospel. Uh, They need to have the right character, and they need to have the competence uh, to do that. Now, it's worth saying, in church life as a whole, we all have a part to play. And uh, the wonderful illustration that is given, that Paul gives, is of the body. And we're all made up of different parts of the body. And we all have different gifts. Uh, we need teachers. We need small group leaders. Uh, we need those who can teach our young, especially in our youth and children's team. Uh, but as a church as a whole, we also need welcomers. We need carers. We need prayers. We need givers. We need strategic thinkers. We need details people. We need administrators. We need all sorts of different gifts and skills. But Paul is saying here, particularly, work hard at passing on this good deposit, this good news of Jesus, to people who will have both the character and the competence to pass it on again. And that has loads of implications for us as a local church. It means that we need to be committed to training. So over the years as a church, we've had uh, a good number of ministry trainees Uh, coming onto the staff team for a period of time. And that is such an important thing for us to be doing. But it's not just coming onto a staff team. It's something for all of us and lots of opportunities. So uh, we also run a ministry training home group uh, to try and equip us in lots of different areas, not least in word ministry, so that we can pass on the good deposit. And it's worth just sort of thinking about it a little bit. Could this be you? Do you think you might be particularly called to word ministry? Might that be particularly your gift? That is something that we should all ask actually of ourselves. It's incredibly important because without that, the message dies and it goes or it gets distorted and the church is one generation from extinction. So there's a question for us all to be thinking, all to be asking. So, how do we guard the good deposit? What does it take? Be strong in God's grace, in Jesus' grace. First, second, train the next generation. Third, be willing to endure tough times. 
be willing to endure tough times. Uh, Just to remind you of the context of this letter, uh, Paul is in prison. Uh, He's in prison in Rome. Uh, He's there actually because of gospel proclamation. It turns out uh, that the Emperor Nero is not overly fond of uh, someone saying that there's another king, uh, there's another person to whom we should give our allegiance. And so Paul was in prison. He is facing death. He's expecting to die. And he's saying in this context, Timothy, you need to be prepared for tough times. And he drills this deeper in the rest of this passage. And he drills this in deeper using three metaphors and three experiences. So let's have a look at these uh, metaphors. And, And they have a lot to say about how we're to endure, how we're to keep going in ministry, how we're to stay strong, how we're to guard the good deposit and pass it on, both as individual Christians, as a church as a whole. Uh, Three metaphors uh, that we see here in verse uh, 4. Let me have a uh, read of verse 4. We're going to start at verse 3. Join with me in suffering, Paul writes, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Three vocations that act as a metaphor. Uh, The first, the soldier. What is it about the soldier that we're to learn? The soldier is focused. The soldier is focused. Not getting entangled with civilian affairs. Not getting distracted. If someone's supposed to be doing their soldiering... You don't want them down at the pub, or you don't want them writing a novel, or whatever it might be. They need to be standing guard or doing what soldiers do. An athlete, what is it about the athlete that is so important? Uh, Well, we're told here that the athlete is to be competing according to the rules. And I think what that's saying is there's to be integrity. There's to be integrity. Uh, In other words, not cutting corners. Athletes who cut corners don't go down very well. If you've ever sort of tried to cut a corner in a race or something like that, you're going to get disqualified. I was reading the other day of the, uh, the ultra-marathon runner who got a bit confused, apparently, and ended up jumping in a car for two and a half miles and uh, running again and came third. And uh, surprise, surprise, that person was, was disqualified. Uh, think of great athletes, Lance Armstrong, uh, if you remember him, amazing cyclist, and yet it turned out he had been cheating all along, and everything sort of crumbles away. Athletes are to have integrity, uh, not to cut corners. And then what is it that we learn about the farmer? Well, the farmer's, verse 6, a hard-working farmer. Uh, farmers, if there's anything you know about farmers, they work hard. They work long hours. I looked it up. Uh, the average weekly hours a farmer puts in is 67. 67 hours is on average what farmers do. They work incredibly hard, uh, incredibly tough physical work in all weathers. Uh, It's demanding. And what Paul is saying here is that this is to be true for Christians, for gospel servants, that we're to be focused, that we're to have integrity, that we're to work hard. 
that we're to be focused. That's not to say that it's not right to enjoy God's good creation. It's not to say that we have lots of responsibilities in life which we need to uphold, whether in our work, in our family life, with friendships. But what this is saying is that there is a danger from being distracted from the job of ministry that we're, we're all given of serving God's kingdom, of guarding the good deposits. Uh, we're not to be distracted from that. And I think that's why it's helpful, actually, for some people to be set, uh, set aside and supported such that we can completely give ourselves to this, uh, for which I'm very grateful, uh, being on the staff team, uh, to be able to do this full-time. There's something really helpful about that, uh, so that we can really devote ourselves uh, to this. So we're to be focused, we're to do this ministry with integrity, not cutting corners. And we're to do it with hard work as well. Uh, I guess that's true for all of life, isn't it? Uh, in all of life, um, we need to work harder stuff to get reward. And it is tempting to think as Christians that somehow the Christian life and Christian ministry is different that um, it sort of operates in a different way. I guess sometimes that can be understandable because we emphasize quite rightly God's grace and all that he gives us that we sort of don't deserve and that our salvation is by grace alone, not through uh, our works. And that's absolutely true and right. But that's not to say that we're not to work hard in our Christian life. And Paul, I think, is really clear in this. And there's a real danger. If we think the Christian life and Christian ministry is it, and should be easy and a bit of a sort of cruise, then when we find it tough and when we find it costly and when we find it hard work, we're going to get resentful and we're really going to struggle. So just think of all the different things that we might do in, in our ministries. Maybe we're preparing a home group study. Uh, maybe we're serving on a team. Maybe uh, we're giving time to someone else uh, to, to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. Uh, maybe we're witnessing to a friend about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we're praying. Uh, maybe it's just getting to church week by week. And at times, we'll find all those things tough and hard work. And they're not easy things to do. And yet Paul is saying, that's to be expected. That's normal. That's fine. Keep going. Keep working hard. Keep focused. Keep doing that with integrity. Because if we do so, we'll see real fruit. And I think there's something here that is hugely encouraging for us is that in all these three examples, in all these three metaphors, there is a goal in mind. There is something greater in mind. So um, if you see the soldier, what is the reward at the end? It is to receive the commendation of his commanding officer. For the athlete, it is the victor's crown. That would have been one of those evergreen wreaths. And uh, that, is, that is the reward. 
For the farmer, it is the harvest, the fruit of the harvest. And in order to keep going and to do the hard work and to do it with integrity and to keep the focus that is needed in our Christian life, we need to remember the goal. We need to remember where it's all heading. Uh, That is true in so many areas of life. Um, I can't resist, but to mention, you might have picked up Man City won uh, the Champions League. Uh, That might not be of interest to any of you. Uh, It is of interest to me that Man City last night won the Champions League. And you can watch Man City play football and you think, oh, it's so easy. It's all so easy. But of course it's not. It requires an incredible amount of hard work. Uh, Their manager, Pep Guardiola, looked exhausted, just looked exhausted at the end of the match because he'd just put in a whole season's worth of hard work. And what kept a football team going, working hard? Well, it's that moment of glory, it's that crown, it's winning that trophy. That is, that is the goal. That's what uh, kept them going. And I don't know if you saw those scenes last night or you can imagine the scenes of celebration when you win something. Well, how much more, how much more wonderful, how much more glorious is it for Christians? We have the most wonderful thing to look forward to. We have the most wonderful commendation to look forward to of a commanding officer who will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, as we meet Jesus in the new creation. Paul later on talks about the victor's crown that is given to every Christian as they arrive in the new creation in heaven. Elsewhere in the Bible speaks about a harvest of righteousness in our lives or a harvest of people becoming Christians. There are amazing goals in the Christian life. And knowing those goals can be a great encouragement to keep going to keep working hard, to keep going with integrity, to keep focus. Because the Christian life can't be tough. And we need to be prepared to endure that. Uh, It is the pattern of Christ. First the cross, then the crown. First suffering, then glory. First enduring, and then fulfillment. And I think that's where these three examples are so important for us uh, that we'll just look at very briefly as we draw to a close. It is striking that uh, these three experiences start, start with Paul saying, look, remember Jesus. This is true for Jesus. Remember him. It's a wonderful description of the gospel, actually, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended to David. Brilliant, succinct description of the gospel, speaking of Jesus' humanity, uh, born of David, descended from David, and yet also his divinity, his resurrected life. And it also speaks of the cross. He went to the cross first, he died, and then he was raised to new life, to kingship. First the cross, then the crown. First suffering, then glory. That was true for Jesus. Uh, N.T. Wright puts it like this, death is the gateway to life and suffering the path to glory. That was true for Jesus. It was also true for the Apostle Paul uh, that he draws attention to there in verse 9. He says this, for which I am suffering, this gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, 
But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, Paul's life was extraordinary. He listed it in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. I think it's going to come up in, on the screen as to uh, what he did in his life. Sorry, it's quite small, but uh, let me just sort of read through this. You get a feel for how Paul spoke about his life. He says this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stone, stones. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I've faced the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. There's Paul speaking about his life. It's been tough. It's been really hard. And yet he's kept going, strikingly, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who will become Christians, and for their salvation. So it's true for Jesus. It's true for the Apostle Paul. And it's worth saying... We're, we're in a different time and place from, we're not Jesus. Uh, we live in a different time from the Apostle Paul. We're not living under the Emperor Nero. But we do live in the same fallen world. And we do believe the same gospel. And the challenges that they face, that they had to endure, that they had to keep going through, we in many ways face as well uh, the risk the ridicule, sometimes the hatred, the need for sacrifice, the sheer hard work, the need to pay and count the costs, giving up time and money and ambitions and energy. And that's that's been true for Christians all through the centuries. And it's why I love the way this passage finishes. Because here are the experiences of just normal Christians Uh, Verses 11 to 13, they're they're probably a poem or maybe a fragment of a hymn that Christians just knew, that they just had in their minds, that they were able just to repeat. And it encouraged them to keep going. Here is a trustworthy saying, Paul says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. There are wonderful truths here to keep us going in the Christian life. If we die, we have a perfect, guaranteed future. We will live with him. We're to remind ourselves constantly of that. If we keep going, if we keep enduring in life, through all its ups and downs, we will also reign with him perfectly in the new creation. There's a warning there. If we disown him, he will disown us. Jesus said as much. If you disown me, I will disown you. Uh, That's the sort of settled disowning, walking away, uh, like 
Philegius and Hermogenes earlier just walked away from Jesus. No more. But I love the way it finishes there. If we're faithless, there's such a realism there. We're going to get things wrong. We're going to uh, fall. We're going to sin. We're going to lose resolve. We're not always reliable. We might be faithless at times, but he will remain faithful. He will restore. He will forgive. He will always be there. His grace, his mercy will always be in you every morning. And so knowing those phrases, that's something to remember, uh, to commit to memory, to keep going in the Christian life, to keep going with the hard work of the gospel, to keep passing on the good deposit to the next generation and to stay strong in the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to remind ourselves of these truths, not just through hearing them, but through receiving bread and wine uh, together now.